and you're listening to a sermon from Bent Tree Church in Loveland, Colorado. For more information about Bent Tree, visit BentTreeChurch.com. Matthew 24, verse 1 through 22. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things that he asked, that's Jesus asking his disciples? Truly, I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. And then as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples, they came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? That's when will the temple be destroyed? And when will, uh, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed, for such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places, and all these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you'll be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you'll be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other, and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that that your flight will not take place in the winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now and never to be equaled again. And if those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. This is the word of God. Amen? Amen. You guys can go ahead and take your seats. Guys, this is your creator speaking to you, his creation about the end of days. So let's pray now and join me in an attitude of prayer as we we pray that we take his words to heart. Jesus, um, thank you for today. Thank you for this place that we can come together and hear your word. Thank you for this church where we can worship you in spirit and in truth. And thank you for this passage of scripture. Your words about the end of days, I pray that we take them to heart. I pray that as this world draws closer and closer to an end, I pray that we wouldn't be distracted by our own pursuits of wealth and success and comfort. I pray that we wouldn't be deceived by our own sinful desires and those that want to take advantage of us. And I pray that we wouldn't be distressed, but we as your church would know that we are dearly loved by you, Father. So protect and preserve us, Lord, as we eagerly await the day when you come and you take us home. We entrust this time to you. We entrust our lives to you. Speak to us now. Your people are listening. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Well, how's it going to end? That's the question on everyone's mind. This is one of those questions that I think every human being has to answer um, as they walk through their life. They, they, they have to ask themselves, what are the end of days going to look like? But ultimately, what's, what's the destiny of my own soul, right? What's the destiny of this world? How is it going to end for all of us? Um, and as I said, I think this is one of four questions that every human being has to answer as they walk through this earth. Um, I'm going to give you these four questions. Please don't feel like you need to write them down. This is just extra. This is something I came up with. Um, here are the four questions I think every human needs to answer as they walk through this earth. Origin. Where do we all come from? Um, meaning. 
why do we exist, right? Morality, what's right and what's wrong. And the last question every human, I think, has to answer on this earth, where are we all going? Um, these are the four questions that I think any honest worldview uh, has to answer, right? If you've got a view of the world, you have to answer these four questions. Um, and this question of destiny, where all this is headed, that's kind of what Matthew 24 treats, right? Um, it seems to be that's the question that Matthew 24 and 25 are answering. Um, and that's how good, honest Christians have approached this passage for centuries. But I want to take some time here at the very beginning and realize that Jesus is actually answering, <laughs> that's not the question he's answering, is the question of destiny. What Jesus is answering is the question, well, two questions. The two questions that his disciples posed to him at the very beginning of Matthew 24. Verse 1 through 3, you guys will see those questions, all right? And these questions form the context for the next two chapters. All right, Jesus left the temple, and he was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call attention to its buildings. Like, Jesus, you see how awesome that temple is, that temple complex? And truly, it was pretty marvelous back in those days. But what does Jesus say? He says, oh, yeah, you see all those things. Yeah, I see I see those temples. You see them? Truly, I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one of these stones will be thrown down. He's prophesying the destruction of the temple. And then as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples, they came to him after this. And they said, tell us, Jesus, when will this happen? This being, when will the temple be destroyed? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Do you guys see the two questions they're asking? Number one, when will this happen? That is the temple being destroyed. And number two, what's going to be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? These are the two questions that Jesus is going to answer over the next two chapters. And I'm hammering this. Guys, I've got to hammer this at the beginning of this sermon. Um, And I'm probably going to hammer this for the next few sermons that I give in Matthew 24 and 25 because context is everything, right? Uh, Context is king. And though we might want this passage to answer every question we have about the end times, the timetable for the apocalypse, guys, Jesus is simply answering two questions. When's the temple going to be destroyed? which we know happened in AD 70, and what are the signs of his coming in the end of days, which we know definitely has not happened yet, okay? So here's the deal, all right? I've talked to many of you um, as I've been talking to about preaching through Matthew 24 and 25, and I've gotten a lot of questions about whether I'm going to talk about the rapture, whether I'm going to talk about, like, the identity of the Antichrist, the mark of the beast, all right? Am I going to support a premillennialist or a amillennial view? Uh, here's the deal. I'm not going to try to answer those questions because I don't think Jesus answers those questions in this passage. We're just going to look at Jesus' answer those two questions that I already showed you, and we're going to see that he doesn't spend a lot of time giving us all the specific details that we, that we want, all right? Um, what he's going to give us is the assurance that we need. Not all the details, not all the specifics, not the timetable that we want to hear, all right? He's going to give us the assurance and the promises we need as this world gets closer and closer to its end. So, if it's okay with you, I'd like to just stick to the Bible, okay? Is that fine? Rather than making guesses about the apocalypse, and, I, and that's cool, and I got to give that disclaimer, because here's, here's the sad truth. If you guys go and research your own stuff, there's a lot of people looking to make money off of the apocalypse, right? Um, there's a lot of people that want you to read passages like the Olivet Discourse here, um, or they'll read the book of Revelation for you, and then they want to interpret it for you, all right? And it's funny, all their interpretations lead to you giving them money somehow, right? Um, and then there's others um, who look at these passages, and they're just led astray by their curiosity, right? They miss the forest for the trees, right? They give so much attention 
to interpreting little minor details in Jesus's words. They give so much attention to intentionally vague passages that they miss the more important concrete matters of Christianity, like love and justice and mercy. And I understand it. I get it. Like it's, it's natural to be curious about the end of the world. In fact, it was my own curiosity about the end of the world that led me. Well, it was a part of what lead, led me to Christ um, back when I was a teenager. Seriously. Um, <laughs> did any of you guys remember the Left Behind books? You guys remember that, that terrible Nicolas Cage movie, right? Nicolas Cage is a good actor sometimes, <laughs> right? This was not one of those times. Anyway, I was, I was in middle school when all that stuff started coming out uh, about Left Behind, and I was just starting to go to a friend's house to study the Bible, and I remember reading the first Left Behind book, and at the end, there was this prompt to commit my life to Christ, and you know what? I did end up committing my life to Christ. Um, and a part of what led me to that decision was my curiosity about the end of the world and reading those books, which is kind of cool, I think. Um, so I just want to take a second right now and recognize that some of you, you might be here today and you might be curious about the end of the world. You might be just kind of kicking the tires of faith and wondering what's this all about, especially um, when I say things like the sky is falling, the apocalypse is coming. Um, you might be wrestling with questions that I put up here, questions about your the eternal destiny, the ultimate fate of your soul in this world. Um, and I, I just want to say that's cool if you're here and, and you're investigating and you're seeking because what we're going to talk to you about today is going to give you some concrete answers. And furthermore, for those of you who are Christians and you know the eternal destiny of your soul, I think this is going to give you um, some concrete answers as well, some things you can bank on as the world gets crazier and crazier. Okay? So looking at the disciples' questions, in the beginning of Matthew 24, um, we see ourselves in their curiosity, right? They want to know how it's all going to end, and we do too. So let's check out the first thing that Jesus has to say um, right after they ask this question. So verse uh, 3 here, to give the questions, tell us when will this happen? What will be the sign of your coming into the end of the age? And this is the first thing that Jesus answers. He says, watch out. Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. Friends, don't miss this. Please don't miss this. Jesus' primary concern, the very first thing he addresses when we ask him questions about the end of the world is this. It's deception. He doesn't want you to be deceived. Watch out, he says, that no one deceives you. Um, and you should write this down, by the way. Um, this is the first of three D's that I have um, for my sermon today. And just heads up, I don't try to make every sermon fit into like three points that all start with the same letter. I, I really, I swear I don't try to do that, but it works really nice for today's sermons. So I've got three D's for you today. And promise me you won't confuse those three D's with our D3 initiative, okay? Three D's for our sermon D3 initiative, those are separate things. Anyway, all right. The first thing, as I was saying, that Jesus warns us about is deception. Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name, that is in the name of Jesus, saying, oh, I'll be your Messiah, and they will deceive many people. And guys, I've got to tell you just honestly, I have never seen a world more deceived than the world we're living in right now. A world more full of deception. Um, here's the deal. Misinformation runs rampant on the internet and television. Everyone and their crazy aunt on Facebook has a different opinion of what fake news is. And there's a lot of people and products out there that just want to save you. So don't be deceived, church. There's only one savior for humanity. And his name is Jesus. It's funny. Um, 
I was a, I was a teacher um, in my previous life. I was a teacher for a long time. Um, and as I was working full-time for a church, I also was part-time teaching um, right when the COVID crisis came. Uh, Marcus, you were in my class that day. Um, I remember... Um, I remember thinking about when 9-11 happened and when I was in school and I had a math teacher who was like, we're going to do algebra today. I was like, are you kidding? The world's on fire. We need to talk about this. So I made a commitment to myself that if I ever became a teacher and the world was on fire, we were going to talk about it in my class. So the very last day, I think it's like March 18th, right? I'm right before spring break. Um, I'm with my class and we're hearing rumors of a pandemic and I probably only got 50% of my kids there. And I remember sitting down and talking for 90 minutes with every one of my classes about a pandemic, about what's going to happen. And we didn't know, but here's the one thing that an entire generation I saw in all my classes. Here's the one thing all of them were wondering. They were wondering, who can I trust? Hefe, they asked me, like, how are we going to know what's real? If it says .gov at the end, can we trust it? If it's Wikipedia, can we trust it? I mean, there's enough people using that. Can we tr- which news station do we trust? And I got real with my kids. You remember this moment. I said, guys, I don't think you can trust anything out there except for one thing. And it's your Bible. And that's what I said to my kids the very last day I was teaching. Um, I'm so glad um, that I got the chance to say that. Um, because... Well, as you know, after that moment, they started recording all of our Zoom calls, and I, there's no way I would have gotten away with saying, kids, you need to read your Bibles. But that's where we find our anti-deception, right? Um, Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, right? He's our anti-deception. And many in this world will claim to be your Messiah, church, whether it's a weight loss program, whether it's a multi-level marketing scheme that promises you'll get rich quick. Maybe someone's coming to you as a boyfriend or girlfriend saying they want to be your everything. Maybe you look to your retirement or your education or your business to be your Messiah, but those things are deception for there is only one Savior, one hope for humanity, and his name is Christ. And the first thing he warns you about Dearly beloved is deception. So as you approach the apocalypse, as we get closer and closer to doomsday every day, don't be deceived. Let's move on. Um, Verse 6. You'll hear of wars and of rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Um, Alarmed. So often, sermons about the end of the world, what are they? They're alarmist, right? They're meant to fluster you, to frighten you, to make you afraid. But the second point Jesus makes is his disciples ask him about the end of the world, about the end of the temple, the end of life as they knew it. He says, don't be alarmed. And it's not like he's saying, guys, just don't sweat the small stuff. No, Jesus goes straight to the worst kind of news you can get. He says, guys, you're going to hear about wars, You're going to hear about evil tyrants and their armies of ruthless soldiers coming to kill you and your family, but don't be alarmed. Don't be dismayed. Don't be discouraged. Don't be distressed. There's your second D for the day. The second thing Jesus warns us about is distress. Don't be troubled. Don't lose your peace. For he has overcome the world and makes me think of what they said in wartime England, right? Just keep calm and carry on. Or it makes, coming back on the other side of the ocean, makes me think of what FDR said. We have nothing to fear but fear itself. And I think that's kind of the heart of Jesus' warning here. Like, guys, you're going to get bad news as you go through this life. You're going to hear about wars. People are going to tell you about scarier things than you ever imagined. And you're going to wish you could just bury your head in the sand 
and tune out all the bad news, but fear itself, that's your worst enemy. So don't be alarmed. Don't panic. Don't be distressed. Um, another story. I'm full of stories today. Um, my daughter, she, uh, she fell in the tub uh, about a week ago, and she knocked out her two front teeth. Uh, I know, it was horrible, it was scary, covered in blood, and we can literally see the tooth marks in the tub still. It's crazy. Um, the hardest part of that wasn't the emergency room visit. The hardest part wasn't going to see the dentist. The hardest part was getting that girl back in the tub. Distressing things are going to happen in life, but we can't let fear rule us, right? I can't have a stinky little girl going through the rest of her life because she's afraid of the tub, right? No one told me that was going to be the hardest part, but truly that's what it is. It's overcoming distress. And how do we overcome? We overcome through the peace that Christ gives us. And so I want you to see this, guys. I want you to see that Jesus doesn't say distressing things won't happen, right? Verse seven, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There's going to be famines and earthquakes in various places. He makes it crystal clear. Guys, you're going to send your young men to war. There's going to be food rations and then the food's going to run out and earthquakes, natural disasters, calamity. That's going to be commonplace, but such things must happen. Such things must happen come the end of the world, all right? All that bad stuff that's going to happen on this earth, it's just a part of God's plan to redeem this broken, marred creation. In fact, we Christians, we can look forward to something in all the calamity and all the chaos. All these things are the beginning of birth pains. Brooke, your birth pains haven't started yet, right? Okay, We've got another 30 minutes at least, I think, okay? But here's the deal. Question, Brooke. What happens when you get birth pains? What comes next? Birth, exactly. That's exactly what comes next. So church, tell me, with all the birth pains that are occurring, what's being born? A new world. A new heaven and a new earth. A redeemed earth. A perfect place where sin and death no longer mar creation. And this place... This is our hope in the midst of chaos. Our hope is in heaven, and it's the reason we Christians aren't distressed by the end of the days. All right? And you don't need to be distressed about your baby coming. It's going to be great. We can't wait. <laughs> Let's keep going. Verse 9. You'll be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you'll be hated by all nations because of me. Notice, Christian. Christ promises persecution. Chris got up here today at the very beginning of our time, and he prayed for the persecuted believers in Africa. And we think, oh, that's an ocean away. But no, Christ promises persecution for the believer. And here's the thing. Jesus is well aware of it. He wants us to be well aware of it. And what's more, think about this. He wants us to know that he knows what's coming, which is strangely comforting, right? He knows, and we know that he knows. We know that he's got it under his control, right? Verse 10, at that time, many will turn away from me, uh, turn away from the faith and will betray and hate one another. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. You see the, you see the repetition about deception. And Jesus even mentions a great falling away. At that time, many will turn away from the faith. But here's what you need to know. All right. The ones that fell away 
from faith, they're the ones that never really had it. They're the ones that are deceived, okay? Because listen, and, and truly, you guys need to hear me here, all right? Sit up if you haven't been paying attention. Here's the deal. If you're truly in Christ, you won't fall away from your faith. If you're truly saved, you're always saved, and nothing can pluck you from Christ's hands. And I'm going to talk more about this in a second, but I just want to read the next couple verses. Verse 12, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. The love of most will grow cold, but the one standing firm at the end is the one who's saved. And if you were to memorize one passage from today's sermon, if you were to take one thing away, it would be this right here. Guys, guys, for this, uh, for me, this verse right here, it's key to the assurance that, that Christ wants to give us. He wants us to grab a hold of this assurance as the end of days come. Um, and it should be, it should be assuring to you. But unfortunately, I think this verse gets misunderstood um, kind of often. I think it's kind of because it translates in a wonky way. So I just want to be crystal clear. This verse doesn't say that you must stand firm to the end to be saved. Like, not at all. Like, at first glance, you might think Jesus is challenging his disciples. Like, all right, guys, if you can just hold on tight to the very end, you'll get saved, right? If you can just be strong enough, right? If you can just work hard enough, if you can just stand firm enough, you'll be saved. That's not what he's saying here at all. In fact, I love what one footnote says. If you guys are um, looking for a Bible translation, try the Net Bible, N-E-T. I'm loving it right now. This is what the footnote in the Net Bible says. It says, Jesus was not claiming here that salvation is by works. He's simply arguing that genuine faith evidences itself in persistence through the worst of trials. I'm going to say that again. Genuine faith evidences itself through persistence and even the worst of trials. True faith is proven by its perseverance. Amen is right. True faith will be proven by the fact that it perseveres, right? And and here's the thing is the inverse of the statement is also true. False faith is going to be revealed when you fall away. When people fall away, that reveals that they had a false faith. But here's the deal. When your faith stands firm through trials, you're proving that God has truly saved you. And this is a big deal. This matters because an unbelieving world is watching you in the midst of your trials when it hurts more than it ever has hurt before. And the perseverance of your faith under fire, proves the strength of God's salvation. Proves how tight he's holding on to you, not how tight you're holding on to him. All right? Again, the perseverance of your faith under fire isn't about you at all. It reveals the glory of God and how strong he is to keep those to whom he has saved. All right? In the midst of all your pain and suffering and struggles, your perseverance proves that God is the one holding you up. When Jesus says... Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. What he's saying is he's saying the world's going to go to pot, guys. It's going to get worse and worse, more and more wicked. And everyone you thought was your friend will fall away. But you who are saved will be standing firm. You who are saved will be standing firm. The one who stands firm is the one who is truly saved. It's the one whom God has plucked out of the miry clay and set upon the solid rock that is his son, Jesus Christ. And those that the Father has given to the Son will never 
be plucked from his hands. Those that the Father has given to the Son will never be plucked from his hands. I just want to read a few of my favorite verses for you guys. Um, I'm sure there's some of your favorite verses, all right, as well. Um, and I'll just put a citation on the screen for you guys. Um, but here's the deal. I just want you to listen um, to these verses right now. You can take a picture. That's okay. Um, I want you to hide these words in your heart or maybe your camera roll. <laughs> but here's the deal. These verses have seen me through my hardest times, my darkest nights of soul. And they're verses that point not to how tight I can hold on to God, but how tight God holds on to me. The way he protects and sustains and provides for his people under pressure. The way he upholds his beloved. And yes, we are a church that affirms the perseverance of the saints. But truly, these verses points to the preservation by God of the saints. All right? That those whom God has chosen are the ones he'll see through to the end. So, just sit back for a second. Um, And I'm going to read these verses. And I want you just to ponder God's strong salvation for you. John 10, verses 27 through 30, and this is Jesus speaking. Jesus says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they'll never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. No one. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one can snatch them out of the Father's hands, for I and the Father are one. Uh, Philippians 1, six says this, Be confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. He who began that work in you, he'll be the one carrying on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And then First Peter 1, uh, verses 3-5, through 5, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Christ Jesus from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. You who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Guys, Jesus shields those who are saved and he's going to protect those who are promised to him. Our faith is something given to us by God himself, and God himself will be the one to sustain us through the end. Because here's the deal. If he calls you to it, he'll see you through it. If he calls you to it, he'll see you through it. He'll protect you. He'll provide for you, and he'll sustain you when you think you just can't go on anymore, church. And even when everyone around you is falling away, those who are in Christ will remain Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most, those around you that you thought, those around you who thought you were were faithful, the love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Do you guys see the connection here between verse 13 and 14? If you need to, you can highlight it, you can mark it down. But here's the deal. The one who will be saved is standing firm, and this testimony will be preached throughout the entire world. Do you see how powerful this connection is? Guys, um, this is what John meant in Revelation when he said that we would overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of of our testimony, because it's our testimony, it's our story of God's strong salvation for us that reveals how it was God all along that brought us along, right? And this, this is what will echo throughout the world before the end of times comes, your story of God's strong salvation in your life, the perseverance of your faith. It proves the power of the gospel. It proves the power of the goodness of God, and it's really beautiful, 
It's really beautiful, especially as I look out there and I see faithful believers who have walked with Christ year after year after horrible things have happened in your life. I get it. But it's God who's been sustaining you, amen? It's been God who's seen you through. And for those of you who I said maybe don't know God, just look around at those who have persevered under trial, under fire, under intense pressure. Pressure so much that they thought they wouldn't endure and they found hope. And it wasn't hope in how, hard, how tight they were holding on to Christ. They found hope in how tight Christ was holding on to them. <sighs> Sorry, it gets me choked up. Um, but let me make a note really quickly for you, especially as you look at verse 14. Um, a lot of missions organizations, they'll look at this verse and they'll think they can make Jesus come back quicker if they just send out more missionaries into the world. Um, I just want to say a quick caveat. You can't make Jesus come back any quicker than he wants to. All right? Um, you can't make Jesus come back any more quicker by sending more and more missionaries into the world. You see, um, a lot of movements throughout history have said, hey, you know, if the, if the end comes right after the gospel gets out to the whole world, then we just need to make sure we get a missionary in every country and then Jesus will come back. And man, I wish that were true. I really do. I wish we could just send out enough missionaries to all the nations to make Jesus come back. But here's the deal. It's not like Jesus is waiting for us to do something before he comes back. No, Jesus is going to come back whenever the heck the Father tells him to. All right? And for those who would say, well, I don't think Jesus can come back. Because see, the gospel hasn't been preached in the whole world yet. I don't think Jesus can come back. You're wrong again. All right? Here's the deal. Yeah, I get that there's unreached tribes and stuff in certain parts of the world, but there isn't a single nation on earth that doesn't have a Christian missionary. Right? And who's to say that God can't preach the gospel to the whole world in one instant and come back in the very next? Jesus will return when God the Father sends him, and there ain't nothing we can do to make him come any sooner or any later to make him change his timetable. All right? Because here's the deal. The weight of that decision is a weight that only the Father can bear. That's a trigger that only the Father can pull. All right, let's keep going because we've got a lot of ground to cover. Um, and I think this is where it gets really good. Verse 15. So when you see standing in the holy place, the abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand and let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Um, this is where I think Jesus kind of switches gears for a second. So you remember at the beginning of our time together when I said um, Jesus was going to answer two questions, right? Um, and that's our context, and we can't forget our context. Context is everything. I think this is where Jesus goes from talking about the end of days in general to specifically talking about when the temple will be destroyed, which was the disciples' second, or first question. And so he answers their first question Second, I don't know why Jesus goes out of order, but we've established that Jesus can do whatever the heck he wants, all right? Um, anyway, uh, right here uh, in verse 15, the abomination that causes desolation. This is something that all of Jesus' Jewish readers um, would understand. Um, this is something that um, the prophet Daniel spoke about. And you guys can go and read the book of Daniel um, and see this, that, De- uh, that Daniel prophesied um, in his book, a great abomination would occur in the temple before its destruction, And it's just kind of unclear as to when this would happen. Some people think it happened before Jesus. All right. Some people think it hasn't happened yet. I tend to think that um, the destruction of the temple in AD 70 um, by the invading Romans, I think that's what the abomination that causes desolation. I think that's when that occurred. All right. And I think just in these next few verses, Jesus is just giving some advice 
to, to the people in Judea, the people in Jerusalem at this time. All right. Um, he's saying, get out of town, guys, flee to the mountains. And then he's going to give them some more advice. Like in verse 17, he says, let no one on the housetop go down to take anything out of the house. Verse 18, let no one go into the field to get their, or no one in the field go back and get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight won't take place in the winter or on the Sabbath. I think Honestly, I think Jesus is just speaking to the inhabitants of Jerusalem here. And he's warning them about the destruction of the temple of the, and that whole city. And he's telling them, hey guys, when you start seeing these signs, you guys need to get out of Dodge and you need to get out quick or you might not get out at all. And so if you guys heard my last sermon um, about kind of that turn there between Matthew 23 and Matthew 24, um, you guys know that the desolation that the Romans wrought upon Jerusalem, it was truly horrible and it was so bad that I think it makes sense for Jesus to warn the people in Jerusalem about what's coming. Then again, maybe I'm wrong. Um, and maybe Jesus is pointing to a future time um, when distress will reach an all-time high. In fact, you look at the next verse, for then will be great distress, unequaled, from the beginning of the world until now and never to be equaled again. Honestly, I, I just don't know. And I'm not going to try to make a guess here. Um, I just know that it was really bad what happened in Jerusalem back in AD 70. And it seems like Jesus is warning the people in Jerusalem um, about what's going to happen there in a few decades. But at the same time, though I don't know when this prophecy uh, was fulfilled or if it was it's yet to be fulfilled, here's what I do know beyond the shadow of a doubt about this passage is that there's an urgency that Christ uh, wants us to take heart. In all of his warnings, there's an urgency, and we need to take heart in this. Um, let no one on the housetop go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back and get their cloak. You guys remember I told you there were three Ds, right? Three Ds um, that Christ warns us about. Here's the last final D, distraction. So many of us are distracted. As the end times come, so many of us are just distracted right? This is the one I think all 21st century Americans are guilty of. Um, as I told my students, um, guys, don't get distracted. You might need to stand up, stretch your legs or something, because if your butt's numb, your brain's dumb, all right? So pay attention, kids. Here's the deal. Don't get distracted. This is important. And I don't mean to sound alarmist. I really don't want to sound alarmist. Remember, Jesus tells you, don't be alarmed, all right? But so many of us are just distracted when it comes to God. That's the hard part about having your Bible on your phone, right? Because you also got all your text messages and all your Snapchat. Do people still use Snapchat? Anyway, um, you got all that coming in, right? And you need to get serious, you need to get focused about what, um, what's really important in this life. <laughs> so many of our friends and our family members are headed straight to hell, and we just keep kind of pushing back the day when we're going to talk to them about their eternal destiny. Like, we're the people that Jesus warned in the passage. Our house is burning down, and yet we're looking at the dust on the baseboards, right? Or our fields are on fire, but you know what, Jesus? I got to get some shoes on before I go outside. Or... Here's one that might sink in for some of you canyon dwellers, all right? The floodwaters are rising, and it's time to get to high ground, but yet, no, I got to pick some daisies first, take some pictures of the water. No, guys, <laughs> we can't be distracted when it comes to God. And honestly, some of you are probably distracted right now, thinking about lunch, thinking about getting back to school, thinking about your fantasy football team, and people are going to hell or they're going through hell right now because you haven't told them about Jesus because you've got too many other things going on. And so I think Jesus' warning about distraction, I think it's for us as well. I want you guys to consider for a second a man that's on fire. Okay? 
<laughs> How awesome would that be if that was my prop today, right? Ah, it's a man on fire. But a man that's on fire, think about how he moves. He doesn't stop to prime the pump. He doesn't stop to make sure the temperature's right on the faucet, right? He moves. He runs straight to the river. And some of us need to stop being distracted by the pursuit of wealth and comfort and success. And we need to focus on what really matters in life. And that's getting right with God and telling our loved ones about that as well. So the three D's that Jesus warns you about, distress, deception, distraction. As I used to tell my students, this is your final warning. Heed the warning, church. Heed the warning. Now, I've talked about a lot today, and maybe I've gone fast. I get it. I covered half of a chapter. But I wanted you to hear this sermon like Jesus' disciples heard this sermon. All right? I pray that you heard his warnings. But more than that, I pray that you heard his heart, the heart behind all these warnings. So I just want, I want to ask you a question. Church, why would Jesus give us these warnings about deception and distraction and distress? Like, certainly he doesn't want those things for us, but why doesn't he want those things for us? Verse 22, I think, points to the answer. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. You guys see those words, for the sake of the elect? I want to ask you, what do you think is going through God's mind as his people go through horrible persecution, as his people go through the apocalypse and the end of days? What do you think is going through God's mind? You. You are what's going through God's mind. As you endure hardships of many kinds, you were on his mind when he went to the cross for your sake, and you're on his mind as you endure the hardest of time. Your sake, for your sake, he's cutting those days short. He's thinking about you, and as people fall away from their faith, as people betray you that were once your friends and family, as the love of many grows cold and wickedness increases at an exponential rate, you Dear child of God, you're what's at the front of his mind. So friends, I implore you on behalf of Jesus Christ, don't be distressed, don't be distracted, don't be deceived, for you are dear to him. You're so dearly beloved. The devil, he wants to deceive you. He wants to distract you. He wants you to be so distressed that you're useless. But Jesus, he wants to assure you. He wants you to know that he knows what the end times are going to be like, and he's going to cut those days short for you. And you don't need to worry about when the world is ending, for Christ will stand by you. You don't need to worry about when the world is ending, when your world is falling down. You don't need to worry because Christ will stand by you. You guys, you know that song, Stand By Me? If the sky that we look upon should tumble and fall, or if the mountains should crumble to the sea. I won't cry. I won't cry. No, I won't shed a tear just as long as you stand. As you stand by me. And you could try putting that kind of pressure on your spouse, on your loved ones to stand by you, but there's one person that you want standing by you come the end of the age. When the world is crumbling, you want Christ standing by your side until the end of times. And praise God, church, that that's what he's promised to do. 
Think Matthew 28, verse 20. And lo, I will be with you till the very end of the age. So church, entrust your life to Christ. For those who have entrusted their life to Christ will endure. Those who have entrusted their life to Christ, they will endure. Though the mountains should crumble and fall to the sea, though the sky is falling, those who have their faith in Christ will not. So I just... As we pray at the end of our time together, I just want you to take a minute to entrust your life to Christ, to commit your life to him as he committed his life to you. So I just want to give you some of my final words. Church, I wrote a little letter for you. Dear church, don't be deceived, but instead embrace the living word, the truth incarnate, Jesus Christ, and read your Bible like it's illegal because someday it might be. And church, don't get distracted, but stay engaged, stay plugged in, and don't skip church or your D3 group, especially as you see the end of days approaching. And finally, church, dearly beloved church, don't be distressed, but rest. Rest assured that Christ knows what the end times hold, and he's got you on his mind. As the world continues, it gets worse and worse, as people get more and more evil, as everything seems to move further and further away from God and all things good. Your faith will be proven through trial, and it will be a testimony to an unbelieving world. So rest assured, dear child of God, live assured, and be assured of this, that as with a waterproof jacket, you're not afraid of the rain. With a fireproof safe, you're not afraid of the flames. And with Christ by your side, your faith is apocalypse proof. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, this plane, it's going down. We see all the signs, even now. This plane is going down, and Christ, you are our parachute. Our well-informed thoughts about religion don't save us. Our reading and studies and ideologies don't save us. A half-hearted acceptance and recognition of you doesn't save us. Only you, Christ, can save. Only you can rescue. Only you can deliver. So we entrust our lives to you. Jesus, thank you for giving us a faith that endures the worst kind of things this world can throw at us. And thank you for giving us each other. So help us now to encourage each other as we see the end of days coming. And God, thank you for protecting, for persevering in us, for sustaining us, for upholding us. When we feel like we can't hold on anymore, God, we know that you're the one holding on to us. Christ, we commit our lives to you as you committed your life to us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, church. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Bentry Church. To get connected at Bentry and for more information, please visit bentreechurch.com.